Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Matthew, chapter 16. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Peter said, Lord, you're the anointed one. You're the Messiah. And not only that, but you are the son of the living God. Notice this. He didn't say you are a son of the living God. He said you are the son or the son, the one and the only son of the living God. Now, I'm amazed by that. I've looked at this chapter a hundred times, and each time I read it, I am amazed that those words came out of the mouth of Peter. Remember, Peter was a blue-collar worker. Peter was an uneducated, untrained, unlearned, old, smelly fisherman. And yet he arrives at this deep, spiritual, theological answer. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. That's deep. And he didn't go to seminary. And thank God he didn't go to seminary. Because if Jesus, if Peter would have gone to seminary, he probably would have said something like, why, you are the eschatological manifestation of the Imago Dei. And Jesus would have said, what you call me? What you say? I'll pop you upside he would have had some deep feel up there, like, what? No. J- Peter didn't answer from the head. He answered from the heart. Lord, Jesus, I know you are the son of the living God. You are God. He just answered from, not from his head, but from his heart. You know, sometimes education can mess you up. That's the truth. I've never been to seminary. And I don't have any problem with seminary. If, you, if you're a seminary graduate, great. I think it's wonderful. But I'll tell you what, in order to know the things of God, no seminary can teach you the things of God. What? Rodney, you mean I've wasted 40 grand? <laughs> well, I don't know. You tell me. No seminary. Hey, listen. For the natural man understands not the things of the spirit. You see, you cannot learn this word because you decide, I'm going to get myself trained to know the Bible. These things are spiritual. Do y'all understand? This book is spiritual. This book requires the Holy Spirit to teach you what he's saying. Now, if you're born again, you have the Spirit. So when you read the Bible, it's like having the Holy Spirit sitting right there, and you're reading something, and you go, man, I sure don't know what that means. And you go, man, the Holy Spirit, what's, what does that mean? Because he wrote it. See, he wrote it. So you just go, man, Lord, what does that mean, Spirit? God, show me what it means. And the Spirit will teach you all things. That's why none of the apostles went to seminary. 
And all of them were mightily used of God. And all of the theology, are you, you understand? All of the theology that we understand, that we learn, that we live by, that make the foundation of what we believe in Orthodox Christianity and the pillars of the church all came from ignorant and unlearned men. I'm not calling them that. The book of Acts said that about them. They didn't go to seminary because you can't learn these things. The Holy Spirit has to teach you. And so Peter comes up with this deep spiritual theological answer. You are the son of the living God. And this Jesus, this son of the living God, the Bible teaches, lived a selfless, sacrificial, sinless life. And he went to the cross and he died voluntarily to pay the price for our sins. And the Bible says that three days later, he physically, bodily rose again from the grave. And might I add, we were in Israel in March of this past year. We looked in the tomb and he's not there. And I know that he physically, bodily. I emphasize that because there's a lot of people who don't believe that. He physically, bodily rose from the grave and he ascended back up into heaven. And someday the Bible says, saints, he is going to come again. Do you believe that? Who do you say he is? And the Bible teaches he's the son of God. The Bible teaches he is God. The Bible says there is one God. And that one God is manifested in three persons, God, the father, God, the son and God, the Holy Spirit. No, not three gods. One God manifested in three persons, the triunity of God. And they're one, but yet they are distinct. The father is not Jesus. Jesus is not the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not the father. The Bible is clear. God, the father sent God, the son into the world through the virgin wound of Mary conceived by the agency of the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus was conceived in the wound, he was God in the flesh. And when the baby Jesus was born on Christmas morn, he was God became man. He was every bit God as though he were not man and every bit man as though he were not God. Theologians call this the hypostatic union, the two natures of Christ. And to diminish Jesus or to make him less or even to give him priority. The Bible says it's the spirit of the Antichrist. It is. Jesus was every bit God and every bit man, not not 50 50, not God sometime, man sometime, 75, 25. No, 100 percent God and 100 percent man. Well, Peter said, you are the son of God. And I'm sure Jesus probably smiled. He probably smiled. He said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood has not revealed that to you. And Jesus said, Peter, nobody taught you this. You didn't think of this on your own. But the father who is in heaven has revealed this to you, that I am God. And I'm sure Peter was probably thinking, wow, I finally said something right. Because <laughs> Peter, he was something else. He just, he just could never get it right. I mean, he just couldn't get it right. But this time, Peter, man, I'm happy for you. I am so happy for Peter. I'm like, I want to celebrate. It's like, 
good. You got it right. And Jesus knew he got it right. And that's why he commended him. And Jesus goes on to say, you are Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. Now, I want you to look at with me again in verse 18 through 20, because I want to point out and want you to take some notes here. I want you want to point out six facts concerning the church. Six facts, briefly, concerning the church. I want you to notice again in verse 18, Jesus says that you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church. You see that? Before we go any further, let's understand something. In the Bible, this is the first mention of the word church. If you want to understand what the scripture says and you are a good Bible student, then if you ever want to know what a word means, then you want to go back and find out where that word is first mentioned. For example, the word worship is first mentioned in Genesis 22, where Abraham was sacrificing. Worship and sacrifice go together where Abraham was sacrificing his son, Isaac. And so here we have the first mention of the word Church in the Bible. It's the Greek word ecclesia. It means a called out assembly. The Bible talks about the ecclesia in two ways. The Bible talks about a functioning or local congregation, the church, much like here at Calvary Chapel, where a local group of called out believers. This word ecclesia also refers to the forming church, the forming church. Now, this is not the Baptist church. This is not the Methodist church. This is not the Presbyterian church. This is not the Jewish church. This is not the Gentile church. This is not the black church, and this is not the white church. The forming church is the church that is made up of all born-again, redeemed believers in Jesus Christ. If you understand that, say amen. That's huge. The forming church is the church when people become Christians, they are born again, and they are given membership into the church. That's why we don't have membership here, by the way, because if you're not a born-again believer, you can't join the church. You have to be born into it. You can't join it. And so the forming church is made up of all those who are born again, and they are known as the bride of Christ. The local church should be the visible representation of the eternal church or the forming church. So the church is eternal, point number one. Number two, the church's foundation is, is Jesus. You want to look at that again? Verse 18. Notice Jesus said, you are Peter and upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, this is one of those verses that has divided the church for centuries. As many of you know, I was raised in the Catholic church. And in the Catholic church, I was taught that Peter was the first pope. And that Jesus is saying, Peter, I'm going to build my church upon you. And from Peter in the Catholic Church, even today, from Peter down to the present Pope, the office of the Pope is handed down in succession through Peter, the authority of the church. This is what I've been taught. And this is what they teach today. 
I do not believe that this is what Jesus is talking about. I want you to notice Jesus said, you are Peter. In the Greek language, that is Petros, P-E-T-R-O-S, or a small stone, a little rock. And Jesus said, upon this rock, that's a different word. It's Petra or Petra, P-E-T-R-A, which means a large, mammoth, massive, big foundational corner rock. Jesus is not saying, Peter, you are Petra, a massive foundational rock. Jesus is saying, Peter, you are Petros, a small little stone. And beginning with you, Peter, I'm going to build my church. Jesus isn't saying, Peter, I'm going to build my church on you. But Peter, I'm going to build my church on your confession that you, what he said was, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You see, we understand, and Peter understood, that he wasn't a rock. That, that Jesus is the rock. And, and no man is the rock. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11 tells us, For no other foundation can any man lay than that which is laid, Jesus Christ. Do you see that, saints? An interesting verse, I love it, is in Deuteronomy 32, 31. It says, For their rock... Is not like our rock. Talking about God, talking about Jesus Christ. So the head of the church is Jesus, and the foundation of the church is Jesus Christ, and no mortal man can ever fulfill that. Peter isn't the pillar or the platform that the church is built on. It's built on Jesus. Amen, saints? How oh, you know that song? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood. And righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. What? All other ground. Sinking sand. And that's what Jesus is saying. Well, not only is the church eternal, the church's foundation is Jesus, but also the church's builder is Jesus. That's important. You see, men can build a church with bricks and mortars. Or mortar. Men can build a, a church with hundreds and thousands of membership. But that's just a building. Only Jesus can truly build a church. Acts 2.47 says the Lord added to the church daily as those that should be saved. You see, the church is made up of people, not a building. The church is an organism, not an organization. The church, Jesus, is the builder of the church. And not only is he the builder of the church, but he's also the owner of the church. The church, Jesus owns it. He spoke of ownership of the church when he called it my church. Did you see that? He's the architect, the builder. He established it. He'll bless it and he'll maintain it. He's the Lord over it and he purchased it. Acts chapter 2, verse 20, verse and 28, chapter 20, verse 28. Therefore, take heed to yourself, Paul says to the Ephesian elders and to all the flock among whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseer to shepherd the church of God. Notice which he purchased with his own blood. It is his church. And might I add that Jesus loves the church. You ever hear people say, well, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. You hear people say that? Well, you know what? According to the Bible, you can't love Jesus 
and not love his people. Well, the church is full of hypocrites. Yeah. Come and join us and we'll be one more strong. I don't like the church. Yeah, well, you can't separate the head from the body. That's a monstrosity. That's not a blessing. Jesus loves the church and he loves his people and he's very intimate with his people. Not only is he the church's owner, I got to move on, but he is also the church is invincible. Notice that the church is invincible. Jesus said it's my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In other words, the power and the dominion of Satan will be no match for the power and the dominion of Jesus working through the church. That's good news. Somebody should say amen. Invincible. Invincible. Jesus is saying, I'm not going to set up my kingdom now. I'm going to build my church. And even hell won't be able to prevail against it. And not only that, but here, last point, the church is authoritative. The church is authoritative. Jesus is saying, did you notice it in your text? He says, I'm giving you the keys to that church. And these keys don't decide who gets in and who stays out. These keys only unlock and give entrance to the kingdom. So when Jesus gave Peter the keys, Jesus is saying, Peter, you are going to be the first one to open the door to the kingdom. And that he did. Remember in the book of Acts, he preached the most powerful, awesome sermon in the biggest altar call ever. 3,000 people came forth and gave their lives to Christ in Acts chapter 2. You know the story. He opened the door. Acts chapter 10, he opened the door with the key to the Gentiles and people were born again. And it's those same keys that in Matthew chapter 18, verse 18, that he gives to the rest of his disciples. And might I add, it's those same keys that he gives to you and to me as believers. We can take the gospel with the keys and open the door. Somebody did for me. January 23rd, 1982, somebody took those keys and said, hey, Rodney, you want to get saved? And I said, yeah, I do. And they opened the door to the kingdom. So the keys that he gave Peter and he gave his disciples are the same keys that he gives to us. You know, it's like. If you look in my wife's purse, which I wouldn't recommend, but if you look in my wife's purse and you grab her keychain, you will see that she and I have the same keys. She's got a key to the front door. She got a key to the back door. She has a key to the VW bug that she drives. We have the same keys. We share authority. We rule together over the VW bug. We're co-rulers. We have the same keys. And, and, And the Lord has given us as believers, the bride of Christ, he's given us these keys. I trust her and she trusts me with authority to handle the keys. 
When you hand keys to someone, you're trusting them with authority. Now, if you've had a child that's gotten their driver's license recently, age 16, 17, 18, you know what I'm saying when you give them keys and you trepidatiously say, I'm trusting you with authority. Drive carefully. There's a trust there. And so Jesus gives us the keys And we share in his authority. There's a trust there between the father and his people, between the bridegroom and the bride of Christ. There's a trust there. So he's given us the keys to the kingdom as well. And notice what these keys are to do. They are to bind and loose. Did you notice that? Again, in verse 19, Jesus said something very interesting. He said, whatever you bind in heaven shall be bound on earth, and whatever you loose in heaven will be loosed on earth. Now, we don't have time this morning to deal with this subject in depth. But let me just say... That the subject of binding and loosing has gotten out of control in the church today. How many times in sincerity and intensity have Christians, brothers and sisters, saints, gone around binding and loosing Satan and coming against the works of darkness. And in the name of binding and loosing, they come against sickness and cancer and loosing people from the devil's stronghold and and loosing people from poverty and loosing even Christians, loosing Christians from demons. This whole subject has gotten out of control. I was recently reading an article about spiritual mapping. And this spiritual mapping is used to identify particular strongholds in certain areas. And people, teams are going to go in and bind and loose in those particular strongholds. Listen, that's not what Jesus is saying. Don't misunderstand me. Again, I don't have time for in-depth teaching. But I do believe that people, that there is a real demon possession. I I do believe that there are, are times in which People need to be set free from demons. I I do not believe the Bible teaches Christians need to be set free from demons. Amen, saints? And I'm trying to say a lot in a little bit of time, but if you're a Christian, you, you don't have a demon. The spirit of God and the spirit of Satan cannot coexist in the same habitation. You You understand? And there's so much crazy. I got a phone call Monday about this, and I spent an hour and a half on the phone with a family about this very thing. Christians cannot be demon-possessed. The Bible does not teach that. If you're not a Christian, that's possible. But if you've got the Spirit of God living in you, you cannot have the Spirit of the devil living in you at the same time. And so this whole subject of binding and loosing, and in the use scriptures like this, this is not what Jesus is saying. All Jesus is saying is simply this. As you go out and you preach the gospel and you tell people their sins are forgiven, you are confirming what is already done in heaven. They are forgiven and they are loosed in heaven. And if a person will not repent and believe, they're still bound in their sins and that's bound in heaven. And you can boldly declare they are bound or loose from their sins based on the authority of the word of God. You are simply proclaiming all that God has already done in heaven. That's it. Don't, don't, don't make a whole teaching out of it and a whole doctrine out of it. 
You see, nowhere in the Bible does it teach that we as Christians are given power to bind up and punch out demons. The Bible does not teach that. Nowhere in the Bible does it teach that you are given all authority. We're not given all authority. Jesus is given all authority. And we hear so much in the church, we're given all authority. We have authority based on the authority that he trusts us with. Not we've got authority to go bind bind this and cast out that and cast out this, because the authority comes from him. So our authority is from him. The authority that he gives to us. We should pray to God, whatever is done in heaven will be done on earth. Jesus is the one who ultimately loses people. It's all of what's going on in heaven, not in what we decide we want to do on earth. And Jesus' word is still loosing people even today. He's still loosing people. But that's done in heaven. When I say, hey, would you like to give your life to Christ? And they say, yeah, that was done in heaven. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.